one of the composers that I, I worked with said at one time that any song by me, there's always changing the world and for a better place and for justice and for caring for people. One interesting experience I had when that showed up in one of my hymns was at a time when there were so many murders in Chicago and sometimes even little kids sitting out on a front porch. And I was just devastated by what was happening in Chicago at that time. So I wrote a song that talked about how things can be different for the children in this world and that we can come to more peace and freedom from senseless deaths. This is celebrated hymnist Ruth Duck talking about her process and her inspiration as a writer of hymns. Part of the impetus of that was just working out my own distress with what was happening. One really important rule of my writing is that it always be true for me and I'm not repeating what's already been done. That's what I also teach people who want to write songs is to write out of their experience what they know. Then you take your faith to what you write. Welcome to Seekers and Scholars, a podcast located at the intersection of spiritual quest and scholarly inquiry. Coming to you from the Mary Bakerty Library in Boston, and online at mbelibrary.org. I'm Jonathan Eder, host of Seekers and Scholars, and what you just heard was a clip from a conversation we had with Dr. Ruth Duck on what fuels her hymn writing, writing that has earned numerous awards and accolades. I'm here in studio with Dr. Ryan Vigil. It's great to have you here. I'm happy to be here. The two of us had the privilege of speaking with Ruth Duck about her life and work as a hymn writer, and we'll be revisiting that conversation in just a moment. Ryan, our discussion with Ruth Duck was intimate and illuminating, but in my case, I was entering a new world. You, on the other hand, as a composer and hymn specialist, were already very much aware of the immense vitality of contemporary hymn writing and the importance and prominence of Ruth Duck in that world. You know, reflecting upon the conversation, one of the things that I'm struck by is her extraordinary modesty throughout the conversation. Uh, the truth is that Dr. Duck is a towering figure in more than one world, actually. Mm. Um, her, her background in preaching and ministry is substantial. She's one of the foremost scholars of liturgy and a practitioner of liturgical reform in this time. And she's one of the leading hymn writers of her generation You've spoken to me about her in the context of the hymn society in the United States and Canada, and also in the context of how you've included texts by her in the new volume of hymns for the Christian Science Church. Uh, Ryan, you were very much a part of the whole process of determining and assembling the hymns that would go into that compilation. In terms of the new Christian Science hymnal, as we were thinking about the various hymns that we would be interested in including there, the most natural thing was to take a look at Ruth Duck's hymns and really make sure that some of her best texts were there. And at the annual meetings of the Hymn Society of the United States and Canada, one of the people who 
who just has a sort of aura that follows her where she goes, is, is <laughs> Dr. Ruth Duck. She has been named a fellow of the Hymn Society, which is a really significant honor. Um, there's not that many of them out there, and it's really a recognition of a lifetime of service and a truly significant body of work that is contributing to hymns in our time. Well, I think that aura somehow even communicated itself over the phone, and we're about to hear moments from our conversation with Dr. Duck. But before we do, I thought I'd read her bio as given on the website of the Boston University School of Theology. Quote, Ruth Duck graduated from Boston University School of Theology in 1989 with the degree of Ph.D. in Theology and Liturgy. Since then, she has been an active scholar, hymn writer, and composer. Her areas of expertise include feminist studies of liturgy, liturgy and culture, liturgical healing, and baptism. Beginning in the 1980s, her hymn texts and tunes have had an increasing presence in both Protestant and Roman Catholic hymnals. She is Professor Emeritus of Worship at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary in Evanston, Illinois. So let's pick up our conversation with Dr. Duck around language and gender in hymn writing. As you've noted, I became quite sensitive to the constant use of male terms for human beings and for God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was my early contribution. A group of us seminarians in Chicago area decided to do a new songbook. And what we did was to change a lot of the historic, uh, well-known hymns, but we we carefully, as we could, rephrased things so that there was much less of a um, gender problem. For instance, there's one that's called "Arise, O Men of God," and uh, mm. and and we found we we used the tune, which is part of what happens. We used the tune, but we changed quite a few words, mm-hmm. and that was the beginning of of the. Um, the songs that people began to know me of. That was maybe around 74. I don't know exactly when. Mm. So it, it, it makes me want to ask, for you growing up and singing hymns, did you feel that something was absent or missing or interfering with your experience because it was often so male-centered in its, in its language? When I got through a seminary, it was very hard to find a position in a church I became much more aware at that point of the sexism within the church because I had the same credentials of everyone. I got, you know, excellent grades and right. and uh, so on. So it just didn't make any sense. But then I wanted to make a difference. And so this was one part of it. You know, it's such an important part of it. I, I was just reflecting on my experience of worship. And for me, having hymns as part of a church service is absolutely essential. I can't imagine getting the same satisfaction out of a, of a church service if hymns were, were absent. Right. One thing that's occurring to me, just in reference to this really interesting narrative that Dr. Duck is describing, there was an activity to which she didn't have access. Mm-hmm. And when I think of the work that she's done with hymn texts, um, both adapting existing hymn texts and in her own writing, in essence, what she's doing is making those hymns more accessible, mm-hmm. communicating a concept of God that is um, more universal. Her work 
in hymns is, in that sense, really directly uh, reflecting her own personal experience. Yeah. Well, it, it, it also makes me think, Ruth, uh, of our namesake here at the Mary Baker Eddy Library, who certainly bumped up against those kinds of limitations in, in her time period. And, you know, it makes me ask the question, to what extent is uh, Mary Baker Eddy's very universal sense of God informed also by her her own lived experience mm. um, as a woman. In, she was before her time, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I think so, yes. I want to back up just a little bit yeah. to say that whereas the, the denomination that I'd been part of for quite a few years would not offer me a chance to minister, um, the United Church of Christ did. That was a good thing. Mm. So I, I, I didn't languish forever, right? And I had some good people that helped me I was a pastor for 10 years or so before I went and got my doctorate. Mm. So anyway, just to to give my gratitude to the UCC, they sure opened a door for me. It makes me think again of Mary Baker Eddy. That was her church growing up, or at least uh, a previous iteration of it. And so I think she'd be happy to hear that (laughs) the church of her childhood treated you well. Um, Thinking about the biography that I read from the Boston University School of theology about you, they note that an area of expertise for you is liturgical healing. Healing is such a a central part of Christian science, theology, and practice. So I'm curious, how do you think about healing in the context of your work as a hymn writer? Well, I think it, it, it shows up in quite a few songs. And I might say that when I was a teenager, I, I'd, had, I'd had asthma for quite a few years, and it was pretty troublesome. Mm. And I went to a healing service at an Episcopal church because it was one of the first churches that, besides Christian science, to pay attention to liturgy and, and healing. And I actually put my name in a plate, and somebody in South Africa prayed for me, and I never had asthma ever again. Wow, and mm. I've 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 had enough experiences when I was a pastor of feeling the sense of healing. I think that it's something that's been really overlooked within the churches. Um, not all, and certainly some people, probably in many denominations, um, but we know that God still heals. Mm-hmm. And so to have in some of our churches, if we have a kind of liturgical way of doing it. One time I was leading a service, and, and there were two people um, who were married to each other. They were coming up into my line to be prayed with, and each one of them asked for me to pray for the other. Mm-hmm. So there's many different kinds of healing, um, but I don't think we should be bashful about the possibility of physical healing as well as the many different experiences of life that need healing as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you shared with us a hymn of yours that explicitly addresses the subject of healing. Uh, It's titled Healing River of the Spirit. Actually, we got together, a few of us, yesterday and and sang a little bit of it. Would you be interested in, in hearing our a little bit rough. <laughs> <laughs> very, but, very modest but spirited, efforts. But spirited effort at, at singing a little bit of your, of your song. Sure. <laughs> we'll roll a little bit of that in. 
That's very kind of you. But, you know, just in um, hearing us sing those words, it it reminds me of something that you wrote. It's in uh, the preface to a collection of your hymns called Welcome God's Tomorrow. And and you wrote the quote, I believe Christian hope should be bold, even if it seems foolish to the world, and that it must not be only a feeling but a way of life shared in community. More than ever, I want to welcome God's tomorrow— by the way, I sing and love and live. In that hymn, in those lyrics, that you you certainly point out the challenge and the and the difficulty that we face in life, but it brings this feeling of confidence and hope that healing is a present uh, possibility. So, thank you for that. But I just love to to get your thoughts on what is needed for people today in the church and in in Mm. congregational song? Well, I do think that we've been very much inspired, those of us who go to hymn society and are learning and growing about hymns. I think that the diversity of people has been a big part of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Just last night, uh, we have Vespers every Thursday night. Somebody agrees to lead the service, and last night... We went through the whole time with some scripture readings, and in between them, we had songs from very many uh, countries, uh, maybe as many as eight or so. We, we sang some songs from these places, and, and it was a wonderful thing. And I think one way we learn to love across our boundaries is by song, mm-hmm. but also I think there's a bigger thing that that the music is very much influenced by, that the young people are not interested that much in buildings. Mm-hmm. They can love songs. They love to make a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. We had a, a high school here who had a rally when the, the teachers let them do it themselves. They did a wonderful job, and they invited all the old people at, at Pilgrim Place. Mm-hmm. And and so so they were they were testifying there. And they even sang uh, Amazing Grace, even though it was a secular situation. But that's kind of where a lot of the young people want to be. I, I see that in the seminarians. You know, I've been out of teaching for a couple of years. But in these last years when I was there, I could see that they didn't want to have parties. They didn't want to have retreats. They wanted to go out and protest the way the uh, water was being done in Native American places out out. West, you know, and mm-hmm. um, and they would wanted to go community Reni- renewal society, which was a um, for many for more than a hundred years has been working for justice and and hope in those things in Chicago, and they wanted to go and, and and be part of that. So there's a different climate for what young people want to do. I even uh, I got a quotation over here that 
50% of millennials say they would take a pay cut to find work that matches their values. Mm. And that 94% want to use their skills for good. Mm-hmm. And that's a different sort of thing. It doesn't mean that the ones that went before weren't good. It's just that that's their passion. It's not mm-hmm. something that somebody in church told them they ought to be doing. They're, they're telling us what to do. Right. I mean, they're showing us what to do. Yeah. It's it's great to hear this from you. And it's it, I, I don't know about you, Ryan, but it's making me think that perhaps this generation is bringing in a more expansive understanding of what church might mean. Um, that yes. It's, that it's not as you say, a building, but something that is all-embracing of, of all our life. Absolutely. And right. It, That's it, right. It, it's also reminding me of a phrase that Dr. Duck used early in our conversation, uh, which was which really struck me, which is just the phrase, love across our boundaries. Right. And love as a, a verb, not a noun. Right. That we can love across our boundaries. And it sounds from what Dr. Duck is describing that there's a, a sort of wonderful idea of that in practice with with, uh, younger people right now. Yeah. Another thing that's happening is the way churches are happening now. And Mm. and when we were in the uh, Hymn Society, there was a group that came, I believe, from Richmond. It was an African-American group. And they they did um, traditional songs, like 19th century songs, but then they they were dancing to it, and they were they were putting some of the African American idiom in it. But part of it is that we're not in Christendom anymore, mm-hmm. so we get worried about our numbers and our big buildings. And then so the other people are saying, you know, we can use those buildings that we don't need all of to help some people start a new business that are needing that, or mm-hmm. so that there's a, a reshaping in a lot of places. There's one book called Weird Church, <laughs> and it, it really, you think that's an odd title, but what they're doing is they're saying there's a lot of different ways that you can grow in your faith. Mm-hmm. So it's a time of experimentation. Ryan, it was wonderful to hear a bit about Ruth's story and how it relates to her work and accomplishments as a hymn writer. So I thought we'd close by looking at a particular hymn of hers. It's in the new volume of hymns of the Christian Science Church. The story of this particular hymn is an indication of how complex the stories are of so many hymns. Mm-hmm. Um, so many people are familiar with the, what they think of as a classic Thanksgiving hymn mm-hmm. that begins with the line, We gather together. Right. We gather together to ask the Lord's blessing. Well, in fact, the story of this hymn goes back to the early 17th century and a Dutch hymnal in which the words originate. It's popularized by a Viennese choral director in the late 19th century, Mm -hmm. and that's very much what puts it on the radar of, of most people in this country. It becomes associated with the American holiday of Thanksgiving. In evaluating the traditional text that goes with this tune, we discovered that it it was lovely, but it actually, it wasn't that substantial. What we discovered is that Dr. Duck had, in fact, composed a new text to go with this tune, one that actually interacts more exhaustively with the concept of Thanksgiving. And what's lovely is that although her 
version begins with a different first line. Hers begins with the line, in joyful thanksgiving, appropriately enough. Mm -hmm. She allowed us to use her text, but to substitute that traditional iconic first line we gather together to ask the Lord's blessing. So now um, when we sing this hymn, we begin with a a sort of reference to that much-loved text, but then we transition, if you will, into this newer poem, which for us goes a bit deeper. In Joyful Thanksgiving is an example of writing new words to a familiar tune. This new version began with a commission by a church in Illinois. They were hoping for me to come and preach and to bring some new words to a familiar tune in a time that seemed to be somewhat troubled in their congregation. I'm not sure. But that was the reason for it in me writing it. Fascinating. Yeah, it is. Um, and so now it, you know, that issue, that crisis, if you will, that you helped address for this church, now that hymn is part of our hymnal and serving a, in, in the Christian Science Church. Yeah, theirs was a Methodist church, so so it went through you and yeah, the Methodist and uh, yeah, and Nieder Gundekstrak or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we didn't sing that yesterday, but I think we will. Well, Ruth, I just want to thank you so much. Ruth, it, it really has been an honor and a privilege to speak with you today. Well, thank you. It's it's I've enjoyed it. In the spirit of gathering together, we'd love to gather your responses to a three-question survey about Seekers and Scholars. You can get to it through a link you'll find in the episode details. Thank you so much for filling it out. And thank you for listening to this episode of Seekers and Scholars, centered around a conversation with one of today's most celebrated hymnists, Dr. Ruth Duck. We sampled two pieces with texts by Dr. Duck. 
Healing River of the Spirit, copyright 1996, The Pilgrim Press, and We Gather Together, which is hymn 593 in the Christian Science Hymnal, hymns 430 to 603. Words copyrighted 2015, Hope Publishing Company. Singers were Roger Gordon, Matt Poulos, Ryan Vigil, and me, Jonathan Eder. Please join us for our next episode when we host Dr. Dan Cohen, Vice Provost for Information Collaboration, Dean of the Libraries, and Professor of History at Northeastern University. We'll be coming together for a conversation on the promise and potential of podcasts to bridge divides in today's media and intellectual landscape. I'm Jonathan Eder. Thank you for listening to Seekers and Scholars. This podcast is produced by the Mary Baker Eddy Library. Copyright 2019.